Well, again, thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. It's fun to celebrate families doing this. Fun to, fun to think about the potential in these little children. There's so many that are connected with our campus. And you think about what their lives are going to be like one day. It's just, it's beautiful. Uh, so thank you guys for being here. I was talking with my wife, my wife and my own family uh, this past week. And it's funny, we have, both of us have these recurring dreams. Anybody have recurring dreams in here? This is so weird, it's so weird, like how our brain works. But we each have these recurring dreams. And so hers, my wife, her name's Marcia. She's an occupational therapist, okay? Her recurring dream is this. She, she wakes up in her dream, whatever, uh, she's at Ohio State University. It's her sophomore year. She knows it's her sophomore year because your sophomore year is when you can apply to get into OT school, okay? And so in her dream, she's applied to get into OT school to become an occupational therapist. It's hard to get into, right? And so she's applied to it. In her dream, sophomore year, she goes down to the little dorm mailbox. She pulls out her mail, and she's got a letter from the School of Allied Medicine, Okay, this is the letter that she's been waiting for. Find out if she gets into OT school. And so it's a tense moment in her dream, right? Like her heart starts to race. She rips the letter open. She's searching for one of two words, accepted or rejected, right? And so she rips it open, her eyes scan down, and she sees the words, your application has been rejected, right? And so in her dream, she starts to freak out. She's like, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do, right? And then, bam, she wakes up. She had, like, every three, four months, she has this dream. So she'll wake up the next morning. She'll be like, didn't get into OT school again last night. Sorry. I'm like, yeah, I hope it changes for you next time, sweetheart, right? I have this recurring dream. Mine's a little bit different. Um, with mine, I, I wake up in this dream, and I'm in this big cavernous auditorium, right? This big cavernous auditorium of a giant church, and it's filled with people. And in my dream, it's about 10, 18 a.m., okay? Service is going on, and the sermon starts at 10, 20. And I got the sermon, but I'm just finding out that I have the sermon, right? So no preparation time, no prayer time. And I start freaking out. In my dream, I start freaking out. My heart races up, right? 10, 19. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to talk about? I'm going to be standing up there in front of all these people just going, duh. Right? Like, what? what? 10, 20. I walk up to the stage. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I start to open my mouth, and bam, I wake up. Like, what is that? All right? Like, is that anxiety? Is it... Is it fear? Is it a premonition? I hope not. I hope that never happens, right? Is it worrying? Let me ask you this. Do you ever worry like, about, about real life stuff, right? Like not dream stuff, but like real life stuff. Yeah, well, like we all worry, right, at some level. We all struggle with that at some level or another. Maybe, maybe we worry we're going to lose our job, right? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about it. Maybe we worry that uh, we're not going to be able to get into the college that we want to get into, right? The one that's going to make our dreams happen. Maybe we worry that um, our significant other is going to stop loving us. Like, what happens, if, what happens if they don't love me anymore? Maybe I worry about my health. What happens if I get a terrible disease, right? We can become a hypochondriac with that. 
maybe for our children, we worry about our children. What happens if something happens to my kids? Why do we do that? Like, I thought a lot about worry this week. Like, why, why do we worry about things that probably will never happen, right? I read this article. It's interesting, this article that did research on worrying, and somehow they tracked the worries. People made a list. They tracked the worries that they had over six months, six months, six months, six months period of time, and what they found is the vast majority of things that we worry about are fiction. They, like, will never happen to us, right? Like, why do we worry so much about fictional things? I've, I've had quite a few people, some family members, tell me, I'm just a worrier. Like, that's just who I am, you know, like, like it's part of our DNA. Is that a thing? You know, like, are some people just worriers? Here's an honest question. Is there any value to worrying? <laughs> I hear yeses. I see, I see heads go like this, right? Like, is there any value for us to worrying? Does it help us in any way? Does it harm us in any way? Uh, writer Irma Bombeck, she said, worrying's like a rocking chair. It's like rocking in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere, right? Is it really, like, is there any value at all to us in worrying? How about this? Is there a way that I could become less of a worrier? You know, like, are there things that I could do in my life? If, if I sit here this morning and I go, I'm just a worrier, I struggle with that. Are there ways that I could become less of a worrier? Or when I feel myself start to worry, are there things that I could do to stop that? How about this? How do you think God feels about our worrying? Like start to, start to bring God into the equation when we're struggling, when we're worried about things. How do you think it makes him feel? How do you think it makes him feel about us? It's an interesting question. How about this? What does my worrying say about my trust in God? Like how does me worrying reveal how I see him and how I trust him? Well, these are some of the questions that I want us to just kind of wrestle with a little bit this morning. Uh, this morning, we're finishing up a series that we've been doing over the last four weeks since Christmas called I Quit. And we're talking about uh, four different attitudes that we want to stop. As, you know, the, the new year is a good time to sit back and evaluate where we've been over the past year and look forward right, to the coming year. And we're saying, what if we had these four attitudes that maybe we committed to, st- to be done with? and instead committed to some other things. And so we've talked about various things. Last week we talked about complaining, we talked about judging, we've talked about hurrying. This morning I wanna talk about worrying. I wanna talk about anxiousness. I wanna talk about fear of what might be. And, and I think it's important for us to all get on the same page. Like what do we mean by that? What do we mean by worrying? Because we went around the room and I said, well, how would you define worrying? Each of us would probably have a little bit of a different definition with that right? Worrying is not like when I'm making a decision and I'm looking at two alternatives and I'm thinking about implications of each of those, like what could, that's not worrying. Worrying something different. Worrying usually comes after a decision is made or, or when a decision isn't ours to make, right? We can begin to worry. It's a potential that's usually out of our control, right? So, so here's, maybe for this morning at least, we can have an agreed upon working definition of worrying, okay? What if we define worrying this way? To be anxious or fearful of a possible outcome in the future that's often beyond my control. To be anxious or fearful of a possible outcome in the future that's often beyond my control. 
pretty good definition, right? If we say that's our definition this morning of worrying, can we agree on that? Okay. Okay, so I want to look, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about worrying, and I want to look at it. Um, so if you've got a Bible, flip it open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible of your own, by the way, we've got a whole table full of them in the back. Um, if you raise your hand, Trent will give you a Bible there. If you don't have one at your house, take one of those. We would love for you to have it. We'd love for you to read it. Um, page six, uh, 787 in the church Bibles there. Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew, where we pick up here in Matthew 6, get, get the scene, okay? So this is a sermon of Jesus. This is like, this is an extended sermon of Jesus. It's actually his most famous sermon in all of the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's doing, it's three chapters long, Matthew 5 through 7. So we're right in the middle of it. He's standing on the side of a mountain, maybe sitting on the side of a mountain, but he's raised up above the people, and there's these huge crowds that are listening to him. They didn't have amplification back then, right? And so the way that you could get big crowds of people to hear you is you get up above them. So he's like on the side of a mountain. You have this sea of people below him, right? And he's teaching them about a whole bunch of different things. And one of the things that he's teaching them about is worrying. So I want to look at this. Matthew 6, we'll start in verse 25. So this is 10 verses, a little bit long of a passage, but I want to read it all together. I want you to kind of get the whole picture here, and then we'll dig into it, okay? So Matthew 6, 25, here we go. This is Jesus talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So why do you worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, so some good stuff, right? Jesus' own words there that we have captured for us talking about worrying. Here's my question to you. If you were going to take those ten verses and you were going to summarize it into three words, if I said three words, summarize, what would you say? Think about it in your mind. Well, if you got a Bible like my Bible, right before this section, right before verse 25, it does that, right? we got these little headings in the Bible. Headings aren't actually part of the Bible, by the way. They're not like inspired. Those are what the translators put in there just to help us read the Bible. So they kind of do this work for us. We're going to summarize it into three words. My Bible says, do not worry. That's the, that's the title. That's the subheading of this section. Do not worry, Jesus, right? Like we're going to sum up what he says here. That's kind of what he says. That's the essence of what he's saying. But when we say it that way, it, sounds, it feels a little cold, doesn't it? Like it's a, it's a little bit unfeeling. It's like this insensitive command, do not worry, right? Well, I want to dig into this a little bit, and I want you to see something um, that has been so helpful 
for me, as we dig in and we talk about these 10 verses and we talk about worry, I want to teach you something that's been so helpful for me in understanding God's heart in the Bible. Sometimes we could read the Bible and we can focus on things, on certain things, and miss other things. And what happens then is we have this distorted view of what the Bible actually says, right? What Jesus is actually communicating to us. And so I want to challenge you, something that we're going to talk about today. We're going to, I'm going to use maybe some words that you've not heard of before. And at first it may sound, wait, where are you going with this? But stick with it because it will change the way that you read the Bible potentially for the rest of your life. I know that's a strong statement, okay? But try to hang with me. I think it'll be really helpful for us. So, so this statement that we just summarized, it's the heading in your Bible, do not worry. That's called an imperative, right? That's called an imperative. That's like, that's the English teacher word there, right? If you're an English teacher, you're like, yes, that's an imperative. One of the readers or the writers that I read this week that was talking about this said, actually, it's a present imperative with a negative participle. So there you go. That's what it is, right? I had to think of it as an imperative. Do not be worried about your life. That's what Jesus says. Don't worry about your life. So there's a guy named uh, Dennis McCollum, who's the pastor of Zenos Christian Fellowship, big church. Actually, it's in Ohio, down in Columbus. And he talks about this, and he, and he says things so clearly. It's been so helpful for me. He writes that an imperative is a verb mood, okay? So it's like the mood that the verb is in. An imperative, the mood that an imperative verb is in is command, okay? So an imperative is a command, they're commands. So they're things like, do this, don't do that, stay away from this, be committed to that, right? Do not worry, that's an imperative, these are imperatives. And a lot of people look at the Bible, and that's all that sticks out to them. They think that's all the Bible is. That's what they boil it down to. Like we boil down 10 verses to three words, do not worry. That's a lot of people look at the whole Bible as just a bunch of commands. They see it as commands, laws, demands, rules that if broken, lead to punishment, penalty, castigation, damnation by an angry God, right? Like that's what they see the Bible as. That's a lot of people's understanding of the Bible as a whole, cold, hard rules meant to trip us up and make life hard and no fun. That's a lot of people's view of the Bible is. If that's your view of the Bible, if you sit there this morning, you're like, yeah, that's kind of my view of the Bible, I can promise you this, you're never going to want to read the Bible, right? You're never going to want to read it, if that's all that it is. And I can say this too, it's actually an extremely inaccurate view of the Bible. Now, the Bible does have a lot of imperatives, right? There's a lot of commands for us to follow, like do not worry. But here's the thing. Let me give you a couple important comments with this. They're not meant to make life hard. Like they're not meant to make life no fun. In fact, it's just the opposite. They're actually given to us to make life better. They're given to us to make life more meaningful. And here's another thing. Especially in the New Testament, these commands, these imperatives, are usually, almost always, given to us along with something called an indicative or an indicative promise. Now, let me explain this. An indicative, so we have imperatives. Imperatives are commands, right? Indicatives, this is another verb mood. So this is another mood that these other verbs are in. And this different verb mood of indicatives is certainty, actuality, right? And so in the Bible, indicatives are truths. These are truths. These are certainties. These are promises, these are actualities. And what that translates to is they show things that God has done, things that God is doing, 
and things that God is going to do. And so here's the really important part. In the New Testament, these two are almost always coupled together. They're almost always coupled together. What happens is we pull out the imperatives and we kind of boil it down. We just do this naturally in our minds. We kind of get rid of the fluff. We might see it as fluff. And we go, well, we just, boil he, what he's saying is don't worry, right? But when we do that, we miss the indicative. We miss the why. When you couple an imperative with its, with its indicative, then you get the heart, you get the motivation, and you get the power in what God commands in order to make our life better and more meaningful. Okay, you following me? So here's what it looks like. And we're, we're going to look at some examples here, and then we're going to apply this to this section about do not worry. Okay, so here's what it looks like in general. An imperative would say, do this. An indicative would say, because this is true. Do this, do not worry, because this is true. We'll get into it in a second. Or it might flip-flop and say, because this is true, do this, right? They always go together. They're always connected. It's the same way in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's harder to, uh, it's more implicit in the Old Testament. It's harder to see those connections. Very obvious in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. I think it'll make more sense as we see some examples with this. So um, first, throw up Romans 12 there. <clears throat> Here's the first one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. What's that red one there? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That's an indicative, right? That's, that's a truth. In view of God's mercy to you, this is the why, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the command, the imperative. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? That's one of the indicatives first. God's merciful to you. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Go to the next one. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. Well, what's the blue one there? What's the first one? It's the command, right? It's the imperative. Don't offer any parts of your body as instruments to wickedness. Instead, offer them as instruments to righteousness. Why? Well, sin's no longer your master. Where's the power in this? Sin's no longer your master. You're not under law anymore. You're under grace. It's possible. We can do this. Here's why. It's the indicative, right? Go to the next one. This is kind of an easy one to see. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That's the command, right? That's the imperative. Here's why. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You've been forgiven by him, right? And so we're kind to other people. We're compassionate to other people. It's the why. It's so important. Go, go to the next one, last one. We love. It's kind of the command. Love, right? Why? Because he first loved us. Because you're loved by him. See, this is so important because if we get this wrong, it can lead to some dangerous things in our theology, our theology, our view of following God could be all about do this, don't do that, commit to this, stay away from that, and we miss the why. And the why is so very important. It's the indicative, right? It's the power and the motivation. It's the reason behind us doing those things. And the reason to God 
is incredibly important. It's not just about what we do. You tracking with me? Okay. So let's go back to our passage in Matthew 6. If you, see, if you read the Bible that way and you think about looking for the imperative and the indicative, it'll change the way that you read the Bible. And it'll change your motivation for doing things. So go back to Matthew 6. What does our passage say? What, is our, what does verse 25 start with? What word does it start with? Therefore, right? What kind of word is therefore? Well, therefore is a connecting word. It takes something that was said before, therefore, it connects it with something after, right? So what's before is actually really important. Well, what's before this passage? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. So in your Bibles, you probably have headings of four different passages, four different sections right before yours as well, right before the do not worry. Mine says giving to the needy, praying, fasting, treasures in heaven. It's interesting how each of those, there's indicative, there's commands that Jesus gives us, but then there's the why as well. Let's look at them. So here's the first one, giving to the needy. He, show us the imperative. The imperative is this. Don't do it in front of other people to be honored by them, but do it in secret, right? Don't, don't give to the needy in front of others so they think that you're really great. Do it in secret. Here's the indicative. Here's the why. Your father sees what's done in secret and he'll reward you, right? Go to the next one. Praying. This one has a couple of them. Here's the imperative. Go to the imperative. <clears throat> Got it? Don't pray long flowery prayers to get the attention of others so that they think you're something great. I'm putting this in my own words, by the way, right? But go be by yourself and pray to your father. That's the command. Don't do it for other people so that they think you're something special. Here's the indicative. Your father sees what's done in secret. He'll reward you, right? He'll honor you. He'll listen to your prayer. There's another one for this one. That's the same one as the previous, right? How about this? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do it in secret. He knows. He can hear you, and he'll honor you for it. Go to the next one. Fasting. What's the imperative there? Don't make it obvious to everyone that you're fasting so they think you're something great. Do it secretly. What's the indicative? You probably guessed it. Your father sees what's done in secret, and he'll reward you. It's not about making us something special in other people's eyes, right? God sees what's done in secret. It's the why. Go to the last one here. Treasures in heaven. What's the imperative? Don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. That's probably a good one for all of us to be reminded of regularly, right? Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. That's the command. Here's the why. For where your treasure is, your heart will be. It's impossible to serve two masters. Both God and money can't rule your life. Right? So when Jesus gives us these commands, it's not to make our life hard. It's not to make it less fun. It's actually to make it better. And if we catch, if we're looking for the indicative, we see that. We see why he commands us to do these things. All right, so then we get to the word therefore, right? So we just looked at what's before. Then we get to the therefore, and then we look at the section that we were just in, do not worry. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just soak this in, okay? We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this, why Jesus says don't worry, and what are our takeaways from that? And I want you to just see this, because maybe when we read it the first time together, we got the imperative, do not worry, but maybe we missed some of these indicatives here. So I just want you to take this in. I just want you to soak in what Jesus says here. Here's the first one. This one's got a few of them. Here's the first imperative. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. 
Don't worry about it. What's the indicative? Here's the first one. Look at the birds of the air. Like, think about this in your own life. You walk in here this morning, maybe you're struggling with a little worry, maybe with a little fear. Look at the birds of the sky. They never worry about anything. God feeds them. Aren't you more valuable to God than a bird? Look at the flowers of the field. They never worry about anything. God provides what they need. Aren't you more valuable to God than a flower? Right? Go to the next one. Pull up uh, that first imperative there. So he says it again. He says, so don't worry. Right? Go to the indicative. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You walk in here worrying, struggle. Don't worry. He, He knows. He's got it. He knows what you need. Go to the next one. Here's the imperative. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So don't worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is the command, right? Here's the indicative. Here's the why. He'll provide everything you need. Right? Like he'll provide everything that you need. Isn't that cool? Like, it's easy to look at scripture and go, yeah, I see the commands. I, I get it. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm going to go now throughout my day. I'm going to read it in the morning. I'm going to go throughout my day. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try not to worry. Jeff, don't worry. Does that work? Not really. <laughs> right? Not really. But man, when we get the why, when we consider the why, we have a chance. In fact, we have the power not to. So, so let's think about these imperatives and these indicatives that Jesus gives us about don't worry. And let me pull out some things for you to consider, okay? Maybe this week as something comes up or this fear or this bad dream that you have, right, the night before, and you have something that you're struggling with, worry, worrying with, let me give you some things to consider. Here's the first one. Worrying happens when our God is too small. I'm just going to say some harsh, blunt things, okay? I want, you just, I want you to just consider this. Worrying happens when our God is too small. I know in my own life, worrying becomes easy when I don't realize just how big God is. Worrying's easy when I forget about the one who made the sun and the stars and the universe. Worrying becomes easy when I forget about the one who stands in power over the face of the earth. Worrying becomes easy when I forget about the one who created me, who's making my lungs breathe right now, who's making my heart beat right now. Worrying happens when I forget that God knows my name, right? He knows everything about me and he loves me. When I forget about how he can work all things for good, even things that are hard, even things that hurt me, even things that make my life difficult, right? He can work all things for good. When I forget that he can bring about his own purposes in my life, even when they don't come about the way that I want or the way that I would choose. See, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget just how big God is. He becomes small to me. And what happens next when God becomes small? I'll tell you what happens for me. My fear becomes bigger than my faith. Worrying happens when my fear is bigger than my faith. I felt this in my own life, right? It's amazing how when God is small to us, when we just forget how big and powerful he is, it's amazing how instead our fears can look so big, right? They can grow, 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 grow. All of a sudden, the situation looks worse, right? It looks more bleak. The circumstances, they look more dire. The potential for catastrophe seems more imminent, like things seem more out of control. 
And my faith, conversely, my faith seems so much smaller, right? When God's small, my fear is so big, and my faith feels like a little grain of sand. And worry and anxiety and fear begin to build up inside of me, in my mind, in my heart. And before I know it, my life is defined by my fears instead of my faith. So I, I want you to hear this. I believe this. I thought a lot about this throughout this week. See if you agree with this. Worrying doesn't do one bit of good. Worry, please hear me say that. Worrying doesn't do one bit of good. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, look at the pagans. That's, that's like pagan stuff. That's what the godless do. They're the ones who worry. He says, he asks the question rhetorically, he says, can worrying even add one single hour to your life? Like, is there any benefit to your life? And of course, the answer to that is no. No good comes out of worrying. It's in no way helpful, right? It, it doesn't mean you just really care. I've had people say that to me. I worry because I care. No, that's not why you worry, right? It's not just that it's how you're wired, you're a worrier. No, that's not a thing, right? It's what happens when God is small to us. And it's what happens when our faith is weak, when our fear becomes bigger than our faith. You know what it's like? It's like a prison. It's like a prison. Worrying's like a prison that prevents us from living the lives that God has for us. I believe this. Maybe some of you walked in here this morning feeling like you're in a prison of worry and fear. It doesn't do a bit of good, and actually it's really destructive in our lives because it keeps us from becoming all that God desires us to become. When God is small and I'm led by my fear and not my faith, I'll resist what he has for me. You know why? Because God doesn't often call us to a safe, easy, comfortable life. Like we want it, right? Like I want a life that's easy. I want a life that's comfortable. I want a life that's safe. We all want that at one level or another. But most times it, it is the exception that that's the life that actually God has for us. If we're led by our fear and if we're led by worry, we'll miss the life that God has for us. We'll never experience it. So what do we do? Like, like what's, what's the answer for us? I've been thinking a lot about this this week. And I think Jesus gives it to us. In fact, I think he's very clear. This is what he says. Seek first his kingdom, right? Seek first his kingdom, live in the present, trust God with the future. I think, I think that's the answer. He's so clear. He says, put me first. Put my kingdom first. Put the things first that I say are important. And then what? Just trust me. Like, trust me with the rest. Seek me first and trust me. Test me. See if I'll provide for you. See if I'll take care of you. I take care of the flowers. I take care of the birds. Aren't you more valuable than they are? I, I like this quote. A friend uh, texted me this quote. He knew I was preaching on this this week from a book that he was reading. I don't know the, the author, so forgive me, but he says, the victorious antagonist of worry is trust. Antagonist is like uh, uh, opponent, right? The victorious opponent of worry is trust. How do we overcome worry? Faith, right? Trust. Trouble comes when we put our faith our focus, our trust, and other things, like when they take priority, when we don't seek him first and make him first, but we put other things in that place, like my job or my career, right? 
When I put my career first, what happens? I start to worry, and I go, man, I hope I don't lose my job. I'm in the perfect job. I'm in the perfect situation right now, right? I hope I don't lose this because it's going to ransack my career. And we get completely off because God's not in his place. We've put something else there. Maybe it's, it's our health or, or how we look, right? What happens when that becomes our priority? Well, we start worrying. I hope, man, I got this little, this little thing in my throat. I hope I'm not getting sick. Right? I, hope I, don't, I hope I don't have cancer. I hope I don't this. I'm getting wrinkles on my face. I am so depressed. Come on, right? Like when those become our priority, we start to worry and fear begins to overtake us. Even with our interests, the things that we want, our desires, our dreams, it's good to have dreams. They shouldn't be the most important thing to us. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's got to take priority. He wants and deserves the number one place in our lives. And when he has it, worry and fear are not nearly the struggle that they would be otherwise. So, so here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to end our time this morning. I have a bunch of verses um, in the Bible, actually Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about worry. I've given you some stuff to think about. I've given you some stuff to chew on. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray here in a second. And then the band's going to come up. Why don't you guys come on up now? The band's going to come up, and they're going to play behind this. We're going to turn the lights down. And I just want to give you a few minutes to talk to God. I want you to just quietly read those verses. I want you maybe to pray them back to God. I want you to take a little bit of an inventory of your heart, you know. Maybe you walk in here this morning, and you feel like maybe you've realized God's a little too small in your mind right now. Maybe you realize that you've been ruled a little bit more by fear than by faith. Maybe you realize that you've been putting other things in the place of God. You've been seeking other things ahead of him. I want to just give you some time to talk to him, to work that out. Maybe this morning you sit in here and you're like in this prison of fear and worry and anxiety. There's a way out of the prison, guys, and it's Jesus. It's putting him first living in the present and trusting him. Man, you got it. I don't have to worry. He's the one who unlocks the prison. So I want to pray, and then uh, I want you to just pray. In fact, why, why don't you pray now? God,